I think this works out today. It's like I said, this is going to be a little different. I normally have three points in a poem. Well, I don't have a poem, but that's a saying. Three points in a poem, three points in a prayer. And uh, I, I was just looking at a message. Uh, I heard a man preaching out at uh, Bible Believers Baptist Church out in Corpus Christi. And he wasn't so much preaching as he was teaching and going over some things, and it really got me to thinking. Uh, how many of you actually watch the news <laughs> or read any of the news? See, it's best not to. Uh, you know, during COVID, they interviewed an Amish farmer, you know, the reporter's over there. Now I'm stealing this a little bit, but the reporter's over there, and they got the mask on, and they got the 10-foot boom mic, and they're asking, you know, how's it, how are the Amish holding up during COVID? You know, and the Amish man standing over there just like he would any day. There's no mask. There's no, you know, well, we're doing all right, about the same as we always have been. They said, well, aren't you afraid of the virus? Aren't you afraid of people getting sick? And and, and dying, and you know, and the reporter, she's obviously scared. She's got the mask on. She's doing the separation and everything. And the uh, farmer said, no, not really. And she said, well, why not? And he said, well, we don't have TV. And that's what happens a lot. We can get caught up in the world. If you watch TV or read the news or you read it on the Internet or you get caught up in a forum and you'll hear every kind of negative thing that's going on. You'll see conflict. You'll see people that can't get along. And uh, these things are no doubt happening around our country, right? There is a battle for the heart and soul of this country that's going on right now. And um, this, this message or this, this thought that I want to share with you all today, and I'm going to kind of walk you through it, but it starts out here in Acts chapter number 9. And this is kind of the context for it. In Acts chapter 9, this is where Saul gets converted. And uh, you know that Saul and Paul are the same people. Often in the Bible, when a change takes place, like with Abram, he started out as Abram and he became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. And there's a change that takes place. There's before God, there's after God. And there's definitely a before God here in verse number one. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And then he, the passage goes on. Let's pray. Amen. You know, I I think every generation looks back and says, you know, I remember when I was younger, things were so much better. I look back and my memories go back to the 70s and the 80s, you know, and I I remember back and I say, man, things were so much better. Seemed like people got along. Seems like, you know, 
But I look back at newsreels and clips and people were fighting just as much as they are today, but it was different battles taking place. But there was still, things are getting worse, I really believe. I mean, there's just, there's just no denying it. Freedom is slipping away bit by bit. I saw a, I saw a, a housing a community uh, in a, and you're sitting there saying, well, you're supposed to be positive, preacher. Well, just give me a chance on this. But I saw a, a housing community up in Dallas. You know how they build the neighborhoods, right? And the houses in this neighborhood, now I've seen small, we've seen small houses before, right? But the houses in this neighborhood were about as wide as a bedroom and two stories tall. And people were saying, oh, how wonderful, you know, they're inexpensive. They're only $100,000 houses. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, what, what in the world is there to celebrate there? And he was going through the math, and he said, well, the mortgage will be this much, and with this much interest, and what, the payments will be a lot even cheaper than renting an apartment. And I'm like, you're kind of missing the whole point. The point is, you can actually see the American dream of home ownership shrinking right before your eyes. You know, that same amount of money doesn't buy as much. And you can get caught up in that, and you can get worried about that. And you would say there's dark times that are taking place, right? And this is, I'm just setting the stage here because I just shifted my, I, I kind of shifted my look. And it's kind of like with Miss Johnny this morning. She, uh, she was saying, you know, she read the passage, oh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me over there in uh, Psalm, what was it, 20. Psalm 22, where David says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And sometimes when we get to praying and God's, it doesn't seem like God's answering and we kind of reach that point and we say, Lord, why, why have you forsaken us? You know, why, why have you forsaken your people? It can get that bad. And it's good to be honest with the Lord. And this is shaky ground that I'm on right now, because with that honesty, it should also come some humility. Because it doesn't mean you've got a right to get mad at God, right? And uh, Miss Johnny says she knew this. She's, she's read it before. She knows it, but she realized that maybe, and I hope it's okay. It's just us. But, uh, you know, that she realized she hadn't been praising God for the good things. And it's when we begin to praise God that it shifts your whole way of thinking. Because if you begin to worry about everything that's around you, if you begin to watch the TV like everybody besides the Amish, then, then you start to wonder, Lord, why have you forsaken us? And we look back, you know, this church was uh, named the Church of Acts at one time. And it's because when they started this church, they wanted to be like the first church. Let's look back at uh, Acts chapter number 2. And I said this was going to be more of a study than a sermon. So we're going to look at some passages, and I want to kind of walk you through. When I've read the book of Acts before, I see the good things that are going on in the book of Acts. I see them overcoming, and we should. We should see God working in the believers' lives. And I know that there's other things that are taking place, but I see the positive outcome of what is taking place. I see the church receiving the Holy Spirit over in Acts chapter number two. I see Peter on the day of Pentecost standing up there and talking to 3,000 Jews and all of them crying out, what must we do to be saved? 
And he said, what, what must we do? Acts, uh, let's see. And when Peter's talking to him, he's not holding back. In chapter number 2, verse number 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto him, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. So when I've read the book of Acts, I see the movement of God in it. But there's something else there that I didn't focus on. Or I, I just, you know it's there. And, and I hope you can follow me on this. You know it's there, but you don't emphasize it. Because when you're reading the word of God, you emphasize, you glorify God. But uh, before I explain that, we see how the church is going. This is one of the good things. Look at, uh, go down to verse number 41, because this shows you what's going on in that time period. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day and were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We see that and we see a church growing and it gets exciting, right? When people get excited about the word of God. Verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common, all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I mean, you had home teams going on, basically. They, they, were, they were sharing God's word. They were sharing joy in God's word. And they were meeting house to house. And they were breaking bread. They were remembering Christ's death. And uh, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people in the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Now, there's a memory for a church that was once bigger, for a church that had a lot of people coming in. You know, when you look back at the church of Acts and you say, man, look at what was going on in those times. Now, I kind of want to uh, break it a little bit. Look back at Isaiah 42. Now, remember that the Bible points to Jesus Christ. These passages that you read kind of have a dual application, but this this is the application that we're looking at. In Isaiah 42, it's prophetic. He says in verse 1, Behold my servant whom, I'm, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now, who do you think he's talking about right there? Jesus Christ. Verse number 2, He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. When Jesus came, he was humble. He didn't shout at everybody. He was just humble and taught. Uh, a bruised reed shall he not break, <clears throat> and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor, discour nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. 
Now, I read all of that just to give you the context. This is the coming of Jesus Christ. And he's coming in a gent. He came gently at first, so to speak. He didn't come to bring war. He, he came to bring he came to bring a sword. He divided families. But that's because God's word and placing your trust in Jesus Christ tends to have a natural division among people. Did you know you can create a huge controversy just by saying, and you'll have religious leaders come after you if you say that you have no hope without Jesus Christ. You can anger a lot of people just by saying that. You know, you can say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And you know that's controversial. To us, it's fundamental. We've placed our trust in Jesus Christ. If you're placing your trust in something else, I guess you you better trust it. You better hope that it's right. But we've placed our trust, our eternal security, in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We didn't place it in Buddha. We didn't place it in Muhammad. We didn't place it in Allah. We didn't place it in any of the Hindu gods. We didn't place it in any of the African gods. We didn't place it in any of the South American gods or any of the Egyptian gods, we placed our trust in Jesus Christ. So why did Jesus come? We know that he came to die on the cross for sins, but there's been this one little uh, verse. For years, I've wanted to preach a sermon on it. I've never put one together on it. So I'm kind of sneaking it in today. You remember what I said about all the news and all that, about how dark it can be? We, we, look, we look around and we say, well, there, you know, it's, it's darker. There's just, you know, people, act, people are hating God. People don't want anything to do with God. People don't want to learn anything about God. Not only that, they're actually hostile toward Christians. They're actually, they're actually hostile. If you don't believe that, look back at COVID in 2020. They shut down the churches, but they kept the bars open. They, they shut down churches, and not so much here in Texas, you know, but, you know, up in north and in other places. I mean, California, I don't even know if they've come out of lockdown yet. <laughs> but uh, in other places, especially Canada, Canada, they flat arrested some pastors for having church service. And this pastor that I listened to, and I said, this is not so much a sermon as me talking, but... This pastor that I listened to, he talked. He's from up north, I guess, but he was talking about having service. He he said, you know, you say that you'll take your stand for God, <laughs> but when you're there, when the rubber's meeting the road, you know, you're really facing it. You know, you're facing a court battle. You're facing mortgaging your house in order to hire a lawyer to defend yourself. They had church. They had it out in a parking lot, and it, uh, he said they had. Uh, Set his, some of his deacons had set up a radio system where everybody could be in their car, and he was up on a, uh, a man lift. You know, the farmers had set him up on a man lift about 10 feet up in the air or something like that, and, and they had church service that way. But, you know, people weren't happy about that. They weren't happy about me. They didn't want the church happening. So when I tell you we're in dark times, I mean, we've had a pretty good run in America. We've had a pretty good run where it was kind of expected you go to church, or if not, you would respect that Sunday when people do go to church. But it's gotten more and more away to where people are actually hostile toward that. 
Now, I want you to understand one thing because it's the just us crowd. I'm not blaming all of that for us not having anybody in the pew right now. But this has to do with this, this mind shift. So this verse that I wanted to bring in, uh, verse number six, Isaiah 42, and we're going to look at six and seven. Seven's the one I really got highlighted because six would start us on, a, that's a whole nother connection. Uh, verse number six, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. Now, just because we're in a Bible study, I can tell you that took me over to Hebrew chapter 9, talking about a new and better testament, if you want to look at that yourself, a new covenant. Uh, Verse number 7, and this is the verse. I've I've had this in my mind for years. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And there's a whole picture right there of darkness, people in prison, people that are blind. And what are they blind to? They're blind to the word of God. They're blind to the things of God. And they're in the prison house. Now, my mind makes connections to passages I know. When I see the prison house or when I see someone in, uh, in bondage or, or locked up, or you know, I see them locked up in sin. I, I, my mind goes over to Romans chapter 6. Hesoever, you know, who, whoever you serve, that's who your master is, basically, to paraphrase in the key version. But who's, whoever you serve, that's your master, whether you serve sin or whether you serve righteousness. Amen? But there's, the whole reason Jesus came was to bring light to darkness. And Jesus is that light to bring to darkness. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison. Now look over in Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter number 4. Now Luke chapter number 4 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is after the baptism, or after, the, after Jesus was baptized, and then he was up on the Mount of Temptation for 40 days and 40 nights. He faced the devil. Everything the devil threw at him, he, he answered with the word of God. We were looking at that in uh, Sunday school. And uh, so he goes, the first place that he goes is to a synagogue. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place found the place where it was written. Verse number 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable 
year of the Lord. Do you see what he did there? Isaiah said he sent his servant, and Jesus stood up there and he said, He has sent me to do all of this. And I've got to be honest with you, I've read this several times, and that's the first time I've paused on that word me. I've thought about him reading that verse, and I've just caught it, but he said, Right there, the Lord has sent me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then verse 21, he threw the nail at it. If there was any doubt, he throws this out. He says, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Verse 22, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself whatsoever we have heard done in Cappadocia. Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And that takes us down a little different road. But I want to focus on that part. Jesus came to bring light to those that were in darkness. Okay? So, so far, we've looked at our world today, and we can see a darkness that's growing. And, and the more you look at what's going on, the, the more evil it really looks like it's becoming. And some of you say, well, you, you're just a conspiracy. Okay, maybe. It's strange to me, it's really strange to me that a whole island catches fire in a wildfire. And all the homes burn on that island except for the rich and the famous. And their properties made it out pretty clear. No problems. I'm just throwing that out there. But I'm only throwing it out there because I'm showing this, this world is in darkness. And we say, well, it, you know, this is, this is worse than it's ever been. But I, I tell you, it's not. There have been times throughout this history they didn't get to go to church. They didn't get to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I can say that today, and I can go home, and I can go back to my job pretty much where we are. But things are slowly, gradually, there's things changing, you know. But uh, the point being... Uh, the Lord has sent me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal them. And let me see, because there we go. Go back to Luke chapter number one, verse 79. Now, this is the song of Zacharias. You remember that Zacharias was in the temple and, and they told him about the coming of uh, John the Baptist, basically. The angel told him that, about his son that would come, and uh, John didn't believe him, and he, he shut his mouth for the whole pregnancy. Elizabeth had John, and uh, Zacharias was able to speak. And in verse number 67, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Now he's prophesying a conquering Messiah, isn't he, at this time? 
Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And verse 76, and now child shall be called the prophet of the highest for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord. And he's talking about John the Baptist to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high have visited us. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm kind of enjoying this. But verse 79 was the one we were getting up to. I told you about the darkness, the light, to bring light to them that are in darkness. But look at verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's a couple ways you can look at that. When you don't know Christ, you're sitting in dark darkness, right? But there's, there's, when you're following the Lord, your relationship with God, just as I preach, is between you and the Lord, right? And when you got saved, you were sitting in darkness before. But a time came when you saw the light and you accepted Jesus Christ. Now hold on to that and let's go back to Acts. Because when we look at the book of Acts, so the whole shift, I'll call it a paradigm shift or what, it's just a slight shift in your, you know, you're looking out a window and you just kind of lean over a little bit and you can see a little different angle. And this was there all along. It's not like it's a big surprise. It's not like some big discovery. But like I said before, we, we focus on what God is doing. And we, we know that the devil gets in there. We know that bad things are happening. But we focus on what God's doing. And... Uh, this is where it gets tricky for me to tie this in. It wasn't a huge <laughs> discovery. I'm building it up bigger than it really is. But, you know, we look at the world today and we say, man, all of this is going on. This is keeping people out of church. This is why people don't want to go. This is this and this. And when I went out with Brother Chad, that was a paradigm shift for me, too, because I hadn't. Hey, look, I mean, <laughs> you guys are still with me, but I hadn't. I hadn't been out witnessing in a long time, and I need to. And I need to get back out there. But I was ready for people to be hostile. I was ready for people to argue. And my friend, Brother David, he said, now some people can witness to a fence post. But uh, Brother Chad had no problem witnessing to people. And I watched people listen to him. And he just gave the raw, unadulterated gospel. He didn't sit there and try to play Ravi Zacharias. And uh, do you all know who he is? He was a real good Christian apologist. He didn't sit there and try to explain why you should believe in God. He didn't bust out the case for Christ and say, well, you know, this and this and Jesus, this really happened and this. And this is why you should believe in all of this. All he gave them was the word of God. And it was the word of God that pried them open. And you say, well, where are they? I don't know. Where are the nine, right? Jesus healed the lepers. One came back. He healed the ten lepers. He said, where are the nine? 
But I, I guarantee you that God was working inside those people. Now, this takes us back to Acts chapter number 9 because we looked at Saul, right? But before we get to Saul, I think we got a little time. Y'all raise your hand if I get too carried away, but this is going to take a little bit. Before we get to Saul, I want to look at the book of Acts because we see the good things that were happening. We see God working, but what we don't realize is the environment that they were in, that was pretty dark. They were reaching out to a dark world. They were reaching out to religious leaders who were so locked in. And you say, well, they were worshiping God. Were they? Because people can, come, people can serve God or they can look like they're serving God, but they're really serving themselves. People can be in the pulpit and be serving themselves. People can be, a priest can stand before you and he can show up at, you know, at communion. He can hand it out, but in his heart, it's black. And I think that's what we see in the book of Acts. We have the religious leaders. We had the Jews that were, the, the, the Sanhedrin, you know, we had the council and all of that. And every time problems came up, it usually came from those that were supposed to be closest to God. So let's look at the book of Acts. So Acts chapter number two, they received the Holy Spirit. 3,000 are added to the church and uh, people are added to the church such as should be saved. Look in uh, chapter number three. Peter and John went up into together to the temple. And when they go up to the temple, there's a man lame at the, lame at the gate. And this is where you're just going to have to know your Bible. And he holds his hand out and Peter said, expecting to receive something. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man stands up and there's good things happening. There's some people getting healed. And Peter stands before everyone there in the temple and he preaches to them about Jesus Christ. And he tells them about Jesus Christ. But then look what happens. The council takes them and imprisons them. And, and the Lord lets them out and they're back out there preaching again and they, and they, they get brought before the council. And uh, in chapter number three, so you had a good thing happen, but then you had the bad thing happen. There was darkness there. And then Peter said, uh, verse number eight, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day would be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole. And he gives credit to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Uh, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And they couldn't argue because the healed man was before them. And then they said in verse 16, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle had been done by them as manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. They couldn't rise up against there wasn't anything they could say about it. we cannot deny it verse 17 but that it spread no further among the people let us straightly threaten them that they henceforth to no, uh, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus and that that shift that I'm talking about is just taking a little bit closer look to see just how bad it really was when you told someone about Jesus Christ, you were putting yourself in jeopardy. Now, everything had just started, so they said, they're, we're going to warn them. We're going to tell them not to speak in this name. It always starts with a warning, right? Later, we see that they beat them and then released them when they get caught again. And then, as you move on, and for time's sake, 
I just want to show you, you know, so they, uh, they said uh, verse number, verse number 20, or verse number 19, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. There was a decision made to follow what God has said. I listened to uh, uh, Joyce Rogers, Adrian Rogers' wife. It was something that she recorded. I think it was a few years after he'd passed away, and she talked about his life. They were married for 49 years, I think. And uh, she said she was with him. You know, he was the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention for, you know, he, the Southern Baptist Convention conservative movement and all that. She was there with him through all of that. She also talked about some of the hard decisions that he had to make. And, and he, you know, we look back on somebody that's followed God and had a life following God, but we don't know about those times when they faced that conflict. We don't know about those times when, uh, when they faced a decision that might have put them out of the ministry or put them out of their church. But he chose to follow God. There were people saying, you know, this literal stand on the Bible, if you would just compromise on that, and he refused to compromise on that. And it's borne out. I don't know who told him that, but I know about Adrian Rogers. He was one of the best preachers I ever listened to on the radio. He, he never failed to preach God's word. Um, but the point being that I'm going to kind of skip ahead, but let's look at So they, they follow God. But every time there was a persecution and they followed the Lord... Uh, and then they're praying. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God. Verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things. So what you see is when something, something will rear its head. When things get going for the Lord in the book of Acts, you'll see conflict rear its head. You'll see the devil rear his head. And after this incident, everybody gets together. Barnabas sells his land and his house. But then you see the devil come in and you see Ananias and Sapphira. And they said, we're going to get a little glory out of this for ourselves. We'll sell the house. We'll keep back part. But we'll say that we sold the whole thing and everybody will look up to us. God takes care of that. And then you see it multiply. Verse number 11 of chapter five. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Every time something bad happened, you see that God's word begins to multiply. And I I guess I had, this is why you need to sit down and write out points so that you don't get so carried away. Because I could go through the whole book of Acts and show you this pattern that would take place. You You could see when they persecuted Peter and James, and John, the apostles, and the Christians, you began to see the word of God multiply. Fast forward, Acts chapter number 6. And in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplied. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. You have a church conflict that takes place. And they were beginning to get divided among themselves. And the apostles prayed to God, and they say, we're not, it's not fit that we leave the word of God. And they appoint, they said, choose you among you, Twelve men full of the Holy Ghost. They let, that was a requirement that they laid. 
to take care of the distribution to the widows. And they solved the problem. Then one of those deacons, they select the first deacons. And then when one of those deacons begins to, uh, I guess he's street preaching. But uh, verse number nine, and there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians of them of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, and they stirred up the people and the elders. So the church solves their problem, and things begin to smooth out, and you've got holy men of God that are stepping up. But then somebody starts bearing false witness against one of the deacons. And you know the story. Stephen goes before the council, and he is one of the greatest sermons in the Bible because he goes all through the Old Testament, and he shows how God was working through all of that to get to Jesus Christ. And when you get to chapter number 7 toward the end, and we're talking about the dark times, right? And we see that they not only, they hadn't warned him not to speak in the name of Jesus. They hadn't, they hadn't beaten him and let him go. But they take him out of the city and they stone him to death. And there's anger. All right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get close to tying this up. I'm, I'm getting closer. And... Right there at the end of chapter 7, you see, and they, they laid their feet, the ones that were picking up the stones, and they were throwing them at Stephen. Now, this is dark. We glaze over it, you know. I, I, I would glory in reading all of the types and everything that Jesus, that uh, Stephen pointed to. I, I gloried in Stephen standing up for God. You know, I, I, I gloried in, in him pointing out Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God. And being faithful to the end, but I didn't let myself think too much about the, the, the hardness in the hearts of the men that were picking up stones and throwing them at him. Now, Dr. Peacock, he'll paint the picture. Some other preachers I know, and they'll paint the picture, picking up the stone. That first one hits, and it knocks him in the head, but he's still standing. And that next one. And I paint you this picture because this is the little bit of shift when you realize how bad it was at that time. How hard it was for them to stand up for God's word. I've read Fox's Book of the Martyrs. I've seen people who have stood up. We're not, we're not guaranteed a Sunday service in a nice building with air condition. Amen. Sometimes the only church that you have is with Jesus in your heart. If you're locked away in a cell, and that's happening to some people today. I won't talk about it, but there's, there's people that are sitting in a cell because of what they think today. Not because of what they've done, but because of what they think. And we're those dark times, there's a parallel there. But that, that hardness in their heart. But I can't leave you there. Because those men that picked up the stones, and you know this, you, you know where I'm going. Those men that picked up the stones, they needed their hands free. They needed, they needed some throwing room. Clothes getting away. Saul, hold my jacket. Sure. Saul, would you hold this for me? Sure. 
And I, I think Paul went back and he said, Luke, make sure you get that in there. I want them to know. I want them to know what happened. Make sure you get that in there, Luke. Because when I was standing there, I couldn't throw a stone because I had my arms full of their coats. All I could do was watch. But I was cheering every rock that went and hit him because he was talking about my God. You know, he, I don't have the verse in front of me right now, but you remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said the time will come. And here I am twisting up verses. The time will come when they that persecute you will think they're doing God a favor. And Saul, standing there, thought they were doing God a favor by getting rid of this heretic, by getting rid of this man preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is one of those dark things. But then you read a little further. Go over there to Acts chapter number 8. And I, I, I'm not going to take the time to walk up there, but what, we're looking at verse 4 or 5, verse number 8, I think. Number one, you see that they... Uh, uh, Saul began to persecute him. So Saul, he didn't get to throw a stone that day. He didn't get to be one of the ones to kill Stephen. But he said, you know, I'm going to do better. I'm going to start bringing all these up to the council. We're going to get them punished. We're going to nip this in the bud. We're going to make this stop. And I guarantee you, he wasn't singing hymns while he was doing it. There was a hardness in his heart. And he, he goes and he persecutes them. And when you read further, and I was going to go all here, you know, but you can look over in uh, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 23, Acts chapter 26, Paul gives his testimony. Uh, when he's standing before uh, the Jews, he gives his testimony. When he's standing before Agrippa, and when he's standing before Festus, and he's standing before Festus and giving his testimony, and he says, you know, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, here's where all this comes in. Because as hard as Saul's heart was, and we know from his own testimony, this wasn't just grabbing them and putting them in prison. This was taking them to be beaten. This was taking husbands away from their wives. This was taking children away. This was taking wives away from their husbands. And this was punishing them for thinking the wrong thing. This was punishing them because they were against his God. This was taking them out. And there was a darkness there. Now let's go back. And we're almost there, almost, to Acts chapter number 9. And we know that in Acts chapter number 9, there's a change that takes place because Saul sees Jesus, and it changes his heart. And he fell to the earth, verse number 4, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And right there, the Lord opened up to those that were sitting in darkness. And there was Paul and Saul in his darkness. And he realized, I think he realized all of a sudden that all these people, he was working against God. He saw Jesus. He saw him as his Lord and Savior at that time. 
Because it said, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That sounded like a familiar question, right? They were talking to Peter. They said, what what shall we do? And when uh, the jailer was talking to Peter, or to, to Paul, he said, what must I do to be saved? He was ready for a change. Now, here's the tie in. Because as dark as it was, as much evil as was going on, and uh, I'll bring up a little bit, but we saw rioting. We, there's, there's people that, that really don't like Christians. There's people don't, that really don't like anything to do with God. And they, they are just as mad as Saul was back then. But in the darkness, you still have to work just the same as you would in the light. When Saul was there and he was standing there and he watched, watched Stephen getting stoned, he might have been cheering the stones. But I also think in my mind's eye, and I've thought about it over the years, that Stephen, he looked out at Stephen and he saw him standing out there and said his face was as it were the face of an angel as he was dying. I can just see, maybe I've seen too many movies or whatever, but I can kind of see that stone flying and, and Saul watching it and that stone hitting Stephen. Maybe Stephen looked at him one last time. But right there, God was working in his heart and that seed was planted. There's darkness. It's real easy to look at somebody and, and this is the tie-in. And, and I'll give the preacher the credit for it. He said, if we'd have lumped in the tax collectors, say you lump in the IRS agent, it seems like he's there to destroy you. I mean, it's scary for us just getting a little letter. But uh, that agent, he has nothing to do with church. He has nothing to do with God. It's really easy to just lump him in with everybody else that you don't want anything to do with. But you don't know what God's doing on the inside of his heart right then. If we'd have lumped, him, lumped in the tax collectors with those that we didn't want anything to do with, Matthew, we'd have missed out on Matthew. If we'd have lumped in the prostitutes with those that we'll have nothing to do with, we'd have missed out on the woman caught in adultery, we'd have missed out. I mean, there's all kinds of things we'd have missed out on. If we'd have missed out, if, we, if we'd lump in that woman that's had several marriages, we'd have missed out on the woman at the well. You know, if, if we lump in everybody that has a different skin color, we'd miss out on the Ethiopian eunuch out there on the backside of the desert. If we lumped in Saul, it was their persecutor, and they were afraid of him. You read over there in chapter number 10, I think it is, he tries to join himself with the Christians, and they're like, no, this is the one that, <laughs> no, nah, this is a trick. But it was Barnabas that stood up for him. So we have to keep in mind, you don't know what God's doing in somebody's heart. And, you know, the end result, and this is what hit me, doesn't really matter how dark it is. 
it doesn't really matter what's going on here and there. Because the same God that was working during Nero, the persecution that took place in, the same God that was working when Rome was persecuting, the same God that was working when all of those Christians had been taken by the Spanish Inquisition and tortured, when, when Christians have been slaughtered, the same God is working today. And that darkness only has light because Jesus Christ is there to scatter the darkness. Y'all follow me on that? I just wanted to share that with y'all today.